actually brother and sister as well, okay? In the spirit, we really are, okay? He says, then be like-minded, be one in the spirit, okay? Have the same love, have the same mind, especially as that of Christ Jesus. It's a cool resolution. So you could say today, I am resolved because of those four things. I'm resolved to be like-minded with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to have the same love, to have the same spirit, to have the same mind. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's what he's telling us to do. So no divisions. Can we disagree? Sure. Absolutely. And we will, right? We can disagree. But even in the disagreements, okay, this is still our resolution. You know, uh, TGD, I may disagree with you on some things. Actually, we don't know each other well enough to know if I disagree with him on anything yet. Probably do. We probably do. But re regardless, right, we, we could apply this. If we found a disagreement, we could go, you know what, though? We're brother and sister. Okay, let me give you an, let me give you an illustration. I said Todd and I are blood, like brother and sister by blood, or so we've been told, right? We believe it because we've always been told that. But now more than ever, we're also realizing we're a lot like our parents. Now more than ever, okay, we're taking a closer look at our father and noticing, wow, he's left his imprint on our lives, right? He's left, okay, I have something funny to show you. Not funny? <laughs> this picture's 25 years old. This is me. It gets funnier. I'm, I'm the pretty one, the normal look, oh no, I'm kidding. Okay, this is me. This is Pastor Todd. These are our senior pictures. What's odd about this senior picture with Todd? He's in a suit. What are they grooming him for? <laughs> and there's Trav. This is all three of us. Can you see that? We found our senior pictures last night. And I propped them up in our home as if they were being displayed again, like, like when we'd gotten right out of high school. My mom was like, what are you doing? Take those down. But it reminded me, it reminded me of something, okay? That other than the fact that my brothers are in suits, which I found odd, because it looks like they're being groomed for the ministry, which, which worked, but seems strange. I don't think a lot of senior pictures, people were in suits and ties. Maybe back then, or if you went to prep school. Oh, every scene? Okay, good. We're not so weird. At first I thought, man, the walkers were odd. But anyways, okay. So what, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? Well, you could almost take this and apply it to the passage too, okay? But this time, think about our father, our earthly father, okay? And say, did we have any encouragement from being united with Mel? Yep, we did, Okay. Do, our, our, do we have any comfort from his love? Even now in his death, do we have comfort from his love? You better bet we do, right? That comforts me all the time. Boy, did he love us, right? Do you have any share in the spirit or in the family with Mel? Do we? Absolutely, okay? Especially us. But a lot of you do too because you're his brothers and sisters in Christ. But especially us, right? And then finally, 
Do we have, did we, did we experience any tenderness and compassion all the time? In fact, when I think of Mel, I, I think of tenderness. I really do. I think of tenderness and compassion. We would tick the boxes for all of these things. Therefore, we should be pouring it all out. Right? We should look like Mel. We should act like Mel. Because we spent our whole lives receiving all of this from Mel. Does that make sense? If you've received all of this from God, who should you look like? Your father. Who should you sound like? Who should you act like? God. That's what he's saying. So then you could say, I personally resolve to be what I have received. To share with others what I have received from my father. And I think Todd and I are doing that in a very practical way right now with our earthly father. We resolve to give out what we've received, to be what we've been taught to be, right? It was such a good, like, visual for me. And then finally, what's with the meat and cheese? This is a much stupider application. This was the good application. This is a weird one. I have a weird obsession with Harry and David. Do you know what Harry and David is? And, and I hope some of you have just written that down and gone, I'm getting Christy a Harry and David <laughs> care package. The cheapest are $29.99, and I will not turn my nose, or my nose? I will not turn my head? What's that phrase? At, at the $29.99 Harry and David either, okay? They go up to like $300. $300 worth of meat and cheese. Anyways, so... <laughs> because people know this about me, especially Todd and Janine, they've gotten me these a couple times. I don't, it's not really that I'm obsessed with meat and cheese. It's more that I love getting something in the mail that looks this fancy. <laughs> I love it. Okay? Now, I could get this in the mail and do what with it? Chow. Chow. Keep it all to myself. Right? You get the point. I could receive it all and absolutely keep it. And it'd be concerning, to be honest, but every night, just, you know, digging into this box, biting off, I, I don't, that's not how you do it, but you know what I mean. Or, and I did this this year without even thinking about it, okay, we had a little shindig over at Todd's place for his birthday, and I brought some. I brought some meat, I brought some cheese, we cut it up, it was from their gift basket that they got me. And he brought, I brought it over, and he goes, what are you doing? Why'd you bring it to our house? And I'm like, I can't eat it all. I'm going to share it. That's the point. If you have received all of these things, and you're, a lot of you are nodding, yes, we did, then make my joy complete by giving it back out, letting other people share in it too, right? Be like-minded, be of the same mind, be of the same spirit, be in one accord, be unified, be loving, be tender, be merciful, be compassionate. Share what God has done for you. That's the point. Don't be a hoarder. If you've received it, rejoice, but don't be a hoarder. Don't be a miser. Give it out for the rest of your life. Okay, Todd.
Thank you, Christy. And I believe every passage of Scripture you can be applied personally and corporately with the church because that was the whole point of God's Word, is to draw us together. We were never meant to live as lone rangers in this Christian journey he's put us on. We were meant to be together. We were meant to have similar purposes. And that's the word I'm going to focus on for the rest of the time. I'm going to change the word resolution, resolution excuse me, into the word purpose. Because if you look at this same passage from the New American Standard Version, this is what it says. Christy focused mostly on the first part. I'm going to focus on the second part. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy com complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and listen to this part, intent on one purpose. One purpose. And what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time is what is that purpose? What is the purpose of God's church? What are we here for? What are we doing? Why did we show up today? Why do we do this every Sunday? Why do we gather every Wednesday? What is the point? Because we've always done it. Is that good enough? It would feel weird not to. Is that good enough? We like to dress up and go places. Is that good enough? We like to eat beverage. We like to eat pastries and drink beverages. Is that good enough? We love Pastor Todd's top 10. Is that good enough? No, it's not. And we're going to look at the purposes of the church. And I came up with five, and I'm sure there's more than this, but these seem to be the five big purposes that we're here for. This is exactly why we exist. This is why we gather. This is why we go through hard things together. And here's number one. It's to glorify God and exalt Jesus. If you could come up with one answer for why the church exists, that would be it. We're here for God. We're here for him. We're here because of him. We're here for him. I don't have any life spiritually without my God. So when I gather together with the church, it's about God. The church is about God. Did you know that the church was God's purpose? Did you know it was God's will? Did you know it was his son's sacrifice that started the church? Did you know it was God's plan to ultimately defeat the devil through the church? All of those things are true. So if we want to be the church, where do we begin? We begin with God. Quite simply. Now, we have something really quite bizarre happening in our culture called church hopping. I'm sure you have heard that phrase before, church hopping. Basically, if you don't like the church you're going to, you can simply find another one that's more suitable to your needs and your wants, that lines up with the way that you think, has the kind of people that you enjoy being around. Guys, the very reason that church hopping exists proves we still don't understand the purpose of the church. Because it's about God. Plain and simple, it's about God. Now imagine if all of God's people got on board with that. And they started to act in the church the way that God had designed it, the way that God intended it. We were all unified in gathering together simply to glorify the name of God and to make Jesus seen and known. What if everything we did in the church had this singular goal in mind? What? Think about it. Consider that. As long as God is happy, I'm happy. As long as he smiles, I'll smile. As long as God receives and accepts our worship, I'm contented. What if that was it? What if that was the bottom line? Would church hopping exist? Usually no. If everyone was on the same page with that, we would all gather and say, let's glorify God and let's exalt our Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be happy by that. 
Can you imagine what the church would accomplish on this earth if we did it God's way? Versus calling something church and then using that thing to shape and serve my own purposes. Because that's what we have in our culture a lot, unfortunately. Do you think the world would be in a better shape if we simply glorified God and exalted Jesus Christ? And the scripture's clear. We exist purely to glorify God and to magnify the beauty and the value of Jesus. And if that's why we gather, that's enough. It's enough. It's enough if the music isn't crisp or if the sermon isn't, is too long or the top ten wasn't funny. It doesn't matter as long as we can walk out and say, we glorified God. We made much of Jesus. People saw and heard the gospel. That should be enough. And that leads into number two, which is this. Spread the gospel. The church has been given the purpose of spreading the thing that is the most important thing we've ever learned and ever known. That is the gospel. We have been given the special and unique privilege of being lighthouses in the dark world that we live in. The light that we possess is called the gospel message or the good news. That Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And without that message, guys, the world is hopeless and it's utterly doomed. Remember those movies where there's like a meteor racing to the earth? I think it was a twilight zone. And uh, they're all wondering, what do we do with our last moments? How do we live? What do we do? The world is about to be destroyed. How do we live? Well, without the gospel message, that's exactly how the world should think. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you think. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. You're all going to stand before God in your sins, and he's going to condemn you to hell. Now consider that. And then think about this. God gave us his son, Jesus, so that we don't have to be condemned for the rest of time. And that message has changed my life and it's changed your life forever. And now we have the cure for eternal death. And the world can be saved and healed from their sins. They can be set free from the devil's evil, tyrannical system. We have that message. And the world is not going to stumble upon that message. They're not going to trip on it. They're not going to land on it. They're not going to even search for it. It has to come to them. And I thought about this idea of light. We're complainers, aren't we? We love social media because we can go on and complain about how bad we have it. We can have a hashtag that suits our victim personality. But light doesn't complain about the darkness, does it? Think about that. Does light ever complain about the darkness? It just shines. If you're upset at the darkness in your house, you can cure it very easily. Turn the light on. Flip the switch. And the darkness will run away. In every area of this world, darkness is existing and increasing. But did you know that the gospel is the light and can stop the spread of darkness and even reverse it? So that the light of God's love can be the dominant news of the day. If we simply were shining the light of Jesus Christ all the news reports that we're hearing today would flip. It wouldn't be about COVID or racism or the bad things happening to the world. It would be about, wow, sinners can be saved. Sinners can find hope. Can you imagine if the gospel was the headline news every week instead of COVID-19? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I could turn on the news and hear about the gospel. And the only way for that to happen, however, is for the church to arise and be unified in the singular an absolute necessity of getting the gospel message to the world. No, we cannot force the world to respond positively to the gospel. We're never going to do that. But we can and we must make sure they know it. 
they know that God's love reaches deep enough to love and forgive them, that he desires them to return back to his loving arms for the rest of eternity. Does the world know that? Does your neighbor know that? Does your co-worker know that? And the question is this, is when will the church lay aside the other silly pursuits and begin taking the cure for sin and the cure for death to this dying world? When will that happen? Because if and when that does happen, guess what will happen? The world will change. It will. It's guaranteed to. And until it happens, it won't. In fact, it will continue to get darker and darker and darker and worse. So it's the church's privilege and opportunity to reverse the trends and to stand up and say, we have the message of hope, and I'm going to let everybody I know know about that message. Here's number three. Know and live the word of God. My, uh, my family has this thing called a shoe rack. When you have seven kids, you have weird things in your house. You don't just put your shoes by the door. Because if you put, how many shoes are there? There's 14 pairs of shoes for kids. Well, I guess the baby doesn't have shoes. But think about how many shoes we would have collecting at the door. So we have this thing called a shoe rack. It's my wife's idea. It was brilliant. Take your shoes off and you put them on the rack. And the rack will be out of the way of the door. And when they don't get on board with that, we trip over the shoes and we lose our minds. But the shoes are supposed to be left at the door for what reason? You don't want to track the germs and the dirt of this world into the house, right? I believe the church, what we're supposed to do when we enter this place, is we're supposed to dock and leave our desires at the door. Because remember number one. Number one is we're here to do what God wants. We're here to do what God says. We exist to do God's desires. We're not autonomous, okay? At all moments, we either belong to the devil or we belong to God. It's that simple. Everyone in the world falls into those two groups of people. They belong to Satan, and they do his will, or we belong to God to do his will. And since Satan is the master deceiver, he loves twisting our minds to think that accomplishing evil, his plan, is both fun and fulfilling. That's what he does. He twists our minds to think that evil, the opposite of God, the opposite of the way we're created, is fun. And fulfilling. He makes us laugh while he destroys us. Forever. But once we understand the, understand the gospel message, and once we understand that we used to be enslaved to evil, we begin desire to live for something else, don't we? Something better, something that is righteous, something that is holy, something that is good, something that can please the one who created us. And once we believe in the gospel, we become children of God. Children of God. My dad, my sister mentioned what a privilege it is to be Mel Walker's sons and daughters. And it is. It still is. It's still remarkable that I had Mel Walker as my dad. But when I believe in the gospel, I become a child of the living God. And so do you. And once we become children of God, we make it our aim to please our good father. I was so excited when my dad would say things like, Todd, I'm proud of you. Todd, good job. Todd, that's exactly right. Todd, keep going. Because that meant this legend, Mel Walker, thought that I was doing a good job. That, that, I don't know. That just meant something real and, and profound to me. Imagine pleasing the God and the Father who created you, who owns everything, who rules everything, and he says to you, well done. I'm proud of you. God's will should be our greatest desire. And therefore, for the most churches, most good churches for the last 2,000 years, we've been founded upon the declaring of God's truth and God's word. Why is that? 
because that's where we find it. That's where we find God's will, what God wants. See, it's not simply good enough to not do evil, is it? What if that was your resolution? I'm going to do less evil. It's honorable, but it's not good enough, is it? We're not here simply to avoid evil. We must do what is right. We must do what is pleasing in the eyes of God. And the only way to discover what that is is in God's word right here. It's the only way to find it. Because God does not speak to us except through his word. This is what he wants. This is how he designed it. If you want to know my will, you will find it here and only here. So without an intensive and extensive search and study of the word of God, we don't have an aim or a purpose. We have no purpose. Even such honorable pursuits as glorifying God and spreading the gospel without a deep dive in the understanding of God's word is impossible. Did you know that? Even if I want to glorify God, even if I want to spread the gospel, without the word of God, I cannot. And there's no shortcut for this process. We have to become students of the word of God so that we know that he, what he desires. We must know the scriptures. So the church must have the purpose of knowing God's word the way God intended us to know it, and then we must make every effort to obey what we find in it. What did God say? What did God want? What did he command? Then that's my goal. And without God's word, we kid ourselves to think that we can actually please God and make any impact in this world. People try it all the time. I don't really need God's word. A two-minute devotional will do. I'll hear a little podcast here and there, and then I'll go out and try to impact this world for Christ. You're not going to accomplish it. Searching and knowing the word of God so that we can obey it is paramount. It's paramount. And the church has to unify in this task. But remember, it's not about our pride. It's not about my, the puffing up of my knowledge. The discipline to know God's word is so that my God can be pleased by my life, by my decisions, by my actions, by my choices. God's word must be declared and known. Here's number four. We must love our neighbors. It's not new, is it? That's, that's probably expect that to be in a top five of purposes for the church. Because as the church begins to understand our purpose of glorifying God and spreading the gospel and knowing and obeying the word of God, we discover quickly the most important piece of God's will is the betterment of our neighbors through sacrificial love. And how do we know that? We know it in the word of God, but we know it somewhere else as well. We know it by looking to the cross of Jesus. Because when we look at the cross of Jesus, we see Jesus seeking out the betterment of his neighbors. He didn't come with any selfish motives. He came seeking out the glory of God, and he came seeking out the eternal betterment of his neighbors at great cost to himself. Guys, if we're not loving others by now, we have to still be blind. We must still be lost because the love, loving your neighbor is almost on every page of God's words. Now, TGD and I were mentioning this morning how there are some things in Scripture that are difficult to process, difficult to understand, difficult. I mean, there's a lot of varying opinions on them, right? Because they're not as prominent. And yes, we can dive in and we can debate them and we can search them out and go, is this important? Is this important? But loving your neighbors is not one of those. Loving our neighbors is so commonly seen in God's word that even a cursory glance of scripture, you will realize that loving our neighbors is paramount to God. It's so obvious. He put it so we can't miss it. No one is going to be able to say to God on judgment day, I didn't know loving our neighbors was important. No one told me. 
I didn't see that. I studied the entire scripture and I never came to that conclusion. Will anybody be able to say that? No, because God put it everywhere. The purpose of the church is to help this hurting world. We have to spread the gospel to the lost. But even acts of love shown to the world without the gospel is still not profound enough to change someone's life. We have to share the good news of Jesus coming to this world, and we must never detract from that. See, but the world will often only receive gospel messages when it's properly packaged. It's interesting you brought up the Harry and David, because I was thinking, why not just cram a bunch of Weiss meat and cheese into a box and send it to Christy? Christy, here you go. And she said something interesting. She said, one of the reasons I like Harry and David is because it's packaged well. It's fancy. It's interesting, the world will often accept love, but only when it's packaged properly. Regardless if the world accepts the gospel message or not, that's not our job, whether they accept the message or not. It helps them when we show kindness and love and generosity with that message, doesn't it? And God is pleased when we strive to love our fellow neighbors and we seek to bless their lives. Now, we need to start with the church. God says that. Start with the household of God. If you're going to love your neighbor, start right here. I mean, think about it. Why would that be necessary? Why would we have to start here with our church brothers and sisters? It's quite obvious. We have the same purpose. We're together. We're going to be together for the rest of eternity. If we can't love one another, there's not a chance we can love the lost. And when we love the family of God, it reflects the beauty and love of, this great, of our great God to this world. When they see us loving each other, it reflects God's love. And if they see God's love through us, the gospel message that we then declare is going to shine brilliantly. But if we shirk love, we become dim lights in this world and the gospel message falls flat. I want you to imagine taking the gospel message without love to your neighbors. Just talk about condemnation and hellfire and how doomed they are and then be shocked when they don't receive it. When Jesus came down, he came down and he laid himself on a cross and said, that's how they'll know that I love them. That's how they'll know that every word that came out of my mouth is right and true and good for them because what they're going to need is they're going to need a sacrifice and I'm here to give it to them. So the world will not presume to think that we love them if we can't even love each other. So the church must, must be about loving one another. It has to be loving your, your neighbors in the church so that we can love our stranger neighbors. And if we want to do radical and profound things for God in this world, it's always going to be done through love. Do you know that? Every single time you want to do something for God, it begins and ends with love. And it often begins and ends with the same, very same love that Jesus gave us, sacrificial others seeking love. When the church unifies in love, it can't be stopped. But when the church becomes distracted and loses sight of love, it flounders, it fails at every point of duty that God has given us. We have to be about love, both inside and outside the church. That purpose is both God-given and God-blessed. And we have one more. Fight against evil. Did you know that you're a member of an army? Did you know you're in the military? Every single Christian is in the military, the heavenly military, every one of us. See, the church is not only just the children of God, it's also the army of God. 
the army of God. The scripture makes that quite clear. One of our chief purposes as the church is to be a significant roadblock to the evil in this world. If we're going to accomplish good for God's will, we're going to relentlessly fight evil wherever we see it. Fighting evil always, always begins where? In the heart. At home. Right here. If you want to become a soldier in, in the army of God against evil, start in your own soul. Start here. Remember when Jesus said, if you want to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye, do something first. Take out the plank that's in your own eye. Because you cannot properly help fight evil if you can't see properly. But even fighting evil at home is still impossible without the church's unified stance of not letting evil reign any longer. We have to come together for that purpose. Until we come together in fighting against evil, Satan's goals will not be thwarted. If we turn a blind eye to evil, then we also turn a blind eye to every one of our purposes in the church. So let's say we're all about the top four. Top four. I'm going to live, do, and live and do the top four with everything I can, but we don't care about fighting evil. They'll all fall flat. Until we come together in fighting against evil, Satan's goals will never be thwarted. We cannot glorify God without standing against evil. We cannot spread the gospel without a determination to defeat evil. We cannot seek to know and obey God's will unless we are convinced that evil is our truest enemy. And we cannot love one another without standing against the damaging effects of evil in this world. When the church rises together against evil, the devil begins to panic and retreat. Because Satan, he's okay with our attempts at doing good. He is. He's okay with that. As long as we don't stand against his plans to increase darkness upon the world. And we cannot and we must not seek to define evil using our own warped minds, okay? So we all sit down and go, well, what's evil to you? Well, I think this is evil. Well, what's evil to you? Well, I think this is evil. That's not good enough. Where do we find what evil is? We find it right here. That's where we find it. God defines what is good and God defines what is evil. So sadly, many churches are, are fighting against evil in their own way. But they're falling right into the traps of the devil because they're seeking to actually spread evil even in the church because they're not doing it God's way. Evil increases because they're fighting against the wrong thing. And we know we're dancing with the devil when God's word is being neglected. And we know we're dancing with the devil when selfishness begins to pop up in the church and even looks normal and even gets called good. Now, the devil is God's greatest enemy in the world, and we live in a spiritual battlefield. And this demands that we take up the sword of the Spirit and the entire armor of God, and we defend truth, righteousness, and love at all costs. To love good and to love God is to hate that which hates him. If you don't hate evil, you're not a Christian. We must hate evil. We must fight against evil. And those are five purposes. And I know there's a lot more, and I know we could spend more time on that. But here's the point of all of this, okay? The church has to unify. We go back to the verses that Christy read, and it says, intent on one purpose. Now, what should be the New Year's resolution for Wyoming Valley Church? It should be those five things. Those five things. Glorify God. Spread the gospel. Declare the word of God, love our neighbors, and fight against evil. That would be my top five resolutions for Wyoming Valley Church. If the church would unify for that, we would have to succeed. Because God's power, God's impact, God's wisdom would be upon us.
And we cannot be stopped, and we cannot lose if that happens. We cannot. The church will always, always flourish when we do it God's way. And the question is this, and it's quite simple. Is Wyoming Valley Church ready to do that? Because that's been the goal for the last three and a half years that I've been there at least. But now we need to resolve ourselves. And I think that's an interesting word. Resolve sounds like something that you're determined to do. It's not a whim. Like I might go to the mall today. I might do some chores and laundry today. I might get some stuff done. Resolve is much stronger than that. It's like I am going to do it today. Resolution, the word has lost some, some meaning there. But the word resolve means it's going to be done as much as it depends upon me, mark it down, it's going to be done. What if those five things was that strong in our mind? They're going to be done. Every one of us, we're on the same page. Those five things are going to be done. I believe Wyoming Valley Church would not only succeed, we would flourish. What's your New Year's resolution? Hopefully you have personal ones like Christy spoke about. But hopefully we have unified ones that are all the same in our minds. We want God's name to be lifted up. We want his word to be known. We want Jesus Christ to be declared. We want evil to die. And we want to love our neighbors. I hope that's your resolution. I pray that's your resolution. I pray that you get on track and on board with that, with Wyoming Valley Church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, you've given us another year. And I think there was some question whether that would actually happen. 2021 was a weird year, and we were unsure of the future, Father. But now that we've arrived at a new calendar year, the only thing we can say is that we're allowed more time in this earth, in this church. And we don't know exactly why, and we don't know how long we have either. But Father, the fact that we're alive today and we're together today means it's on purpose. You still have something for us to do. You still have something for us to accomplish. You still have us something for us to resolve ourselves to do. And I pray that every single one of us would say in our hearts, we're together. We're not different. These aren't just people sitting next to me at a church service. These are my brothers and sisters, and we love the same God because of the same reason Jesus Christ died for us. And I'm going to lay my desires at the door, my whims at the door, my thoughts at the door, and I'm going to let God dictate this for his name and for his glory. And I pray that you'd bless those efforts. Father, as we transition now to our meeting, I pray that even that you would bless. Father, you'd help us to have a unified spirit around how to do this the way that you've designed it. Father, all we can do is ask for your blessing in that. And we do so right now. Thank you for Wyoming Valley Church. Thank you for another day and another season, Father. Help us to glorify you in everything we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.